Grace and peace to you in the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. There's a beautiful joy that's given to us in verse 41 of today's gospel lesson. Jesus states, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. We realize that there's going to come a time where God pulls evil out of our presence, casts it into the fire, and as a result of the fact that we no longer have that evil in our presence, we will live in perfect harmony with God. We see that there is a strife in creation right now. There's something that's always at war with God. But Jesus promises that strife in creation will someday be overcome. Strife in our relationship with God will be overcome. Strife with each other will be overcome. All will someday be redeemed. And in that redemption, we will live in perfect harmony. Most of you have probably heard the term shalom. It's a Hebrew word for peace. And a lot of times when we think of peace, I think we think of the absence of conflict. And so when we read about Jesus casting evil into the fire, we think that we have the fullness of peace because evil is no longer there. But that is not the fullness of peace to the Jewish mindset. To the Jewish mindset, there is a much broader view of peace, of shalom. Rather than merely the absence of conflict, there is a fullness implied in our relationship with God. There's a fullness implied in our relationship with each other. And there's a fullness implied in our relationship with creation and creation's relationship to God. Oftentimes, it's easy to think of ourselves as being the only thing that needs redemption. But in truth, when the fall occurred, all of creation was affected. And so all of creation has to be restored. And Jesus promises that this will occur someday in God's time. Well, we see in today's Old Testament lesson glimpses of this shalom promise. In Genesis 28, we read of Jacob receiving a promise from God that he's going to receive many many, uh, descendants. You see, out of Jacob are going to come 12 sons. And out of those 12 sons are going to come 12 tribes. And God promises that those 12 tribes, they will populate all the way to the ends of the earth. But at the end, there will always be a land for these people to come back to. The reason that God promises a land is that there cannot be true peace in creation for humanity unless our humanity is tied to a physical place in which to rest. God gave us bodies because we're part of a material world. And as a result of being part of that material world, he must supply for us a material realm in which to have the fullness of our peace. We cannot separate peace from land, for we cannot separate our physical selves from the peace we desire. It's our whole self that is involved in the strife against evil. I remember several years ago when this reality of a need for a deep peace, a godly shalom became clear to me. I was speaking to my sons about the Nicene Creed and it became clear to Evan, my middle son, at one point as I was speaking to him that there was going to come a time where he was going to die physically 
And he reacted very strongly to this. And I remember also that he incorrectly tied death to God's purpose. And so I remember, he said something to the effect of he was very angry with God as a result of this because he didn't want to die. What we often miss is that death, sin, evil, the brokenness of the world was never part of God's creation. It was never a part of his will for this world. He has learned to work in it as a consequence of the brokenness, but God never desired the brokenness of this world. It also occurred to me, as Evan said this, that many times we have a tendency to over-spiritualize the life of faith, to over-spiritualize our destiny. We talk about death as though it's not an enemy, as though it's not something to be afraid of, as though it's not something to hate. But it's been my observation that every person who's ever been healthy, mentally, physically, whatever it is, and always health, people who are healthy rarely desire death. Why? Because they realize that there is a gift in this life, that there's goodness in this world, and they want to remain part of that goodness, whether in, in part of that goodness, whether it be through relationships, whether it be through activities, whatever it is. When we have health, we desire eternal life. We desire immortality. And so it's natural. Evan's reaction was natural because as a young boy who had experienced very little sickness, very little strife or turmoil, he couldn't foresee of an existence without his body. Now, there can certainly come a time when death becomes a mercy, when we've struggled, when we're sick, when we've lost so much that to die no longer seems a curse but a blessing, and that can happen. But we have to recognize that even as death can be a mercy, even as death is a mercy on this earth, it's a mercy only because we're succumbing to the ravages of sin, the brokenness of the world, the world's natural separation from God. Paul, in today's epistle lesson, acknowledges this. He talks about the labor pains that the earth has been in, all of creation has been in. How does he say it? We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly while we wait for adoption. When God created new life in us through the power of the Holy Spirit, he has given us glimpses. He's given us a taste of the immortality, the beauty, the truth, and the depth of a life that no longer is tainted by sin or by brokenness. We desire the redemption of our bodies. We desire that we no longer have to fight the war of sin against the spirit. Well, God promises that he's going to give an answer to this curse. And Jesus points us to this answer. There's a beauty and there's a difficulty to today's gospel lesson. The beauty is this. Jesus promises the extraction of the things that wage war against us. There will come a time when those things no longer exist. And in that, we celebrate. But it's hard because the passage would seem to imply that some people, along with the evil actions and the evil influences, 
some people will be cast with that evil into the fire. I struggled with this several years ago, and I'll I'll be honest, I continue to struggle with this in a lot of ways. How can a just God allow people to suffer the torments of hell? And I can't say that I've been able to reconcile that part of it. If anything, I live in a sort of cognitive dissonance where I don't deal with it perhaps as, as well as I could. I suspect actually there are a lot of people like me in that regard. But I remember several years ago, I, my, my conscience was, uh, was weighing quite heavily with this question. And I asked a pastor of mine, what am I supposed to do with this? God has created in me a spirit of love a spirit of compassion for the entire world. You know, there's a sense in which we're all in this together. We were all born into a sin nature. We were all born into a broken world. And it's very hard for me to accept that there are people who are perhaps more broken than I am who will not be shown mercy or won't be shown grace. Well, he didn't answer my question directly, but I think he answered it as directly as he can. He said, your role is not to focus on hell. Hell is none of your business. Hell is not the work that we do. It's not the thing that we focus on. We focus on the promise. And we focus on the promise of God. And so it's perfectly acceptable when your conscience is pricked in in such a way to pray for the salvation of the entire world. It's not your job to worry about who will be lost, who will be saved. It's your job instead to focus on how much God loves. And in thinking of this this week, I came to 1 Timothy 2. And I want to read that to you, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. First of all, then, I ask that requests, prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Pray for kings And everyone who is in authority so that we can live a quiet and peaceful life and complete godliness and dignity. This is right and it pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved. All people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. It's my belief that God has created in us a desire that all people be saved And it's my belief that that desire is created in us because that is the heart of God. God desires the salvation of every single person who has ever lived on this earth. And even as I can't say that I know how God is going to work in the end as it regards those who have turned their backs to God, who've desired evil over good, I can say this. There is no evil that is so evil that God does not want to reclaim the person. There is no evil that has ever been committed that is so deep that God cannot take the person who has committed the evil and make it into a good thing. And so my prayer daily, regardless of what God will do, how God will do it, my daily prayer is for the salvation of the entire world, and I would invite you into that same prayer. Bishop Timothy Ware He's an Orthodox bishop, once said, we must not despair of anyone's salvation, but must long and pray for the reconciliation of all without exception. No one must be excluded from our loving intercession. That is the gospel promise of peace. 
Because as much as peace is tied to land, peace cannot be experienced until we understand peace, a true shalom in our hearts. And God gives us that shalom peace. And it's experienced and evidenced by the love that we have for all of creation. This doesn't mean that God is bound by our hope. It doesn't mean that our frailty or our inability to understand God means that he is bound to accept or to live into our inexperience or or our inability. It does mean that we are bound by God's love to hope for and pray that all, all people would come to know the love of God and that God's mercy would know no bounds. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you this morning, do not be afraid to hope and diligently pray for the salvation of every single person who has ever lived. And join with me in prayer for the salvation of every single one of those people. Pray with the whole church. This is a practice of the whole church. Join the church in praying for the salvation of all. Then there is peace. That is the sort of peace that God calls us to. It is a peace that can sacrifice. It's a peace that can see love. It's a peace that can see hope where others see no hope. That is godly peace. That is shalom. And I invite you into it. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a God of peace. That you have promised us shalom. A peace that not only deals with the absence of conflict, but a peace that also sees fullness. And so, Father, we ask that that fullness would extend to all creation, every creature, every plant, every human being, from the smallest thing to the largest thing. We pray that you would help us live into your creative promise, your creative purpose. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.